0: Oh, and welcome to the second episode of the Not Entirely Perfect Podcast. Uh, my name is Brooke Heim, and I am the host of this crazy show that we call the Not Entirely Perfect Podcast. If you're listening, then you probably know where to find us at Not Entirely Perfect on Facebook at Not Entirely Perfect Podcast. And then also, I have set up a Twitter handle. It's not entirely perf, which is P E R F. Um, So feel free to follow us, and as always, email us any questions or suggestions at notentirelyperfectpodcast at gmail.com. Today, we are going to be um, taking a little bit of a different angle than we did last week for the podcast. We're going to talk about the artist of 2016 that we've lost so far. It's been a hard year with celebrity losses. Um, Every year, it seems that we lose people who are influential to us the older we get so um i know robin williams was a big hit for a lot of people because he formed so much of the humor that we knew growing up and um really enjoyed at any age and this year in 2016 it seems like we've lost quite a few people
1: uh, oh yeah it's, it's been almost like a celebrity death knell this whole this whole last four months
0: Absolutely, and um, two of the biggest for me personally um, was David Bowie and Prince, and this week on the podcast, we're just going to talk about why and how we self-associate with different artists and celebrities and um, characters in books and media, and how they help form who we are as individuals and the effect that they have on our lives when they both come into our lives and when they leave our lives later. So. Uh, with no further ado, my guest this week is the amazing Adam McDonald. Aw, thank you. He is one of the co-hosts of the Borders to Tell podcast that they have allowed me to come on and be sort of a standing guest on, and I will allow him to introduce himself.
1: Well, we always love having you on there. It's always Your perspective is always very welcome, and it's always neat seeing everything from a third point of view, but... Uh, Yeah, I'm Adam McDonald. I do stuff with Big Shiny Robot, uh, mainly mainly film reviews. Every so often you'll see me throw up some video game stuff or uh, whatever. Uh, I also just started doing film reviews for Geeks Out, geeksout.org. And then you can also join me and my friend Brian Richards and some of his friends on the new Funny Books and Firewater podcast. It's exactly what it sounds like. We basically get together each week, talk about, you know, a cool comic book or a trade we read recently uh we're doing civil war tonight uh and then what kind of alcohol pairings you should have with them so if you're reading the killing joke i suggest an apertini because you got the green and then the red from the mars you know cherry so uh it's just it's fun and it's just you know we're just there to you know maybe get a little bit drunk and talk about comic books so
0: <laughs> yay what better way to read a
1: comic book as a grown-up <laughs> exactly right keep Not the kids so away. Much for Kit. <laughs> Keep, keep the kids away from that one. We, we keep uh, bored as hell pretty kid-friendly, but funny books gets a, a wee bit blue sometimes. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining me this week, Thanks Adam. for having me. Um, this is awesome. It's been nice to start off this podcast with the two people who I've been recording with so much, so um, I, I'm very glad to have you. So, 2016, huh? What a bitch. I mean, Ugh. seriously.
1: It's, yeah, it's, you know, nothing's hit me quite so hard is, like you mentioned, with Robin Williams. Because Robin Williams, for me, growing up, was... I, I got a lot of my sense of humor from him. Uh, I can remember very distinctly where I was when I saw certain movies or uh, really f- great memories I had as a kid with my my parents like watching Mrs. Doubtfire. Cause that's, like, my dad's favorite movie. Um, so I haven't had quite that much of a visual Well, I've had close to that, though. I, I'm going to take that back. Um, David Bowie was huge. And I'll never forget this. We was... It was the night of the Golden Globes and because Eddie and I are huge award show nerds, we'd thrown a party we had like all our friends over I think, were you here that night? I can't remember um, You might have had your daughter but we. No, I don't
0: think I was there that night
1: Yeah, we, we had friends over, we had food and we had a good fun time and then our, our buddy was on the news and he came back over afterwards and all of a sudden I think it was Jeremiah was like, dude, David Bowie just died um, and the, the energy and the it just the ambience of the room just like dropped like to like just nothing I was like we just sat there and we all had to hop on our phones to verify because you know there's been so many like oh this person's dead that person's dead um, and the first thing we did was we turned on YouTube and started you know playing some of his live stuff playing uh, just music videos of course Labyrinth popped up um, so yeah I, I was a huge David Bowie fan grew up with him um, obviously from his movies like Labyrinth which everyone kind of gives him crap for but if you look back it was just it was cult fun, you know, nothing special. Well, actually it was something special, it was just nothing meant to be like, you know, oh, the biggest, greatest movie ever. Um, and the thing was, no one knew he was sick. I mean, I had no clue. So when it came out that he had just passed, it was, I mean, he just put out a music video. It was video. so shocking. His music video had just come out two days before with his album. I mean, no one knew. Um,
0: and, was, and like, we should have, because of that music video. <laughs>
1: yeah. No, we should have, definitely. <laughs> that um, was
0: pretty self
1: it was his way of saying goodbye to everyone. It's, yeah. He just wasn't saying it with the words. But, yeah, he just had, I mean, through his whole career, I mean, he always, you know, he pushed boundaries. He pushed gender fluidity. He pushed, uh, sexu- you know, fluid sexuality. Um, was oh, He made being an outcast cool and the right thing to be. Um, yeah, he was, he was an icon. He changed music. He's one of those people you can look back and you can see when he came on the scene, everything changed. Like with the Beatles or like Michael Jackson or Prince, who you know we were talking about too. There are a few people who, when they show up, everything around them changes. It's the whole milieu of music now has this new <clears throat> depth to it that wasn't there before. Um, yeah,
0: and it's it's you know, really interesting. It's really interesting to see how um, These artists who Are so true to themselves Have such A huge impact when they leave Because I think Mm -hmm. as we grow up and as we're Introduced to people like Most of us Are in a strange awkward setting Where we're trying to figure out who we are And I think for our Particular group of friends and the people we know um, Who have Struggled with self identity and Finding um, acceptance for who we are, whether it's because of LGBT issues or um, being different from what our family has been typically like, like finding a sense of self that we're okay with um, can be really challenging as we're growing up. and And I think that's fair to say for most people, regardless of the lifestyle you're you're prone to live. Um, Self-identity is one of the first hurdles that we as people have to overcome. And so these artists like David Bowie and Prince who were never apologetic for who they were. They mm-hmm. embraced themselves. They, At least not in the public eye that we got to see. So by the time that they came to us, they were very, very sure of themselves and they didn't fit any sort of... Norms for most of society, and they were amazing for it.
1: Yeah, and I think the the one really cool thing with David Bowie was, you know, he proved that you can be a celebrity, you can be, you know, you, this hugely influential, amazing person, um, and still be a very private person. I mean, we never saw David Bowie's face, you know, splattered on the front cover of the Enquirer or the Weekly World News, you know, saying, oh, he just, you know, cheated on his wife, or he's into drugs, or doing this and that. He was. He was able to walk that line of being like, "Yes, you can, you can do what I do, but you don't have to make yourself a spectacle." Um, and I think that's kind of lacking in, in you know nowadays. We look at you know who are our celebrities? You know, not aside from movie stars, but we have like the Kardashians. Like, why are they famous? Oh, they're famous because they're they're famous. Wait, so that doesn't make sense. Like, you can't be famous just because you're famous. It's like,
0: yeah, I'm famous. Why? Because I'm me. But why?
1: Because. Well, it was like, there was a great episode, you know, and it's funny, because we recorded this right after doing Boredos Hell, and we brought up South Park in that one. There's a great South Park episode with Paris Hilton, and... Oh, and I love her. that
0: episode.
1: <laughs> and Wendy's there, and Wendy's like the little feminist, you know, you know, little firebrand in that show, and like, Paris Hilton, Paris Hilton, she's like, but what does she do? She's famous! Yes, but what does she do? She's got lots of money, and it's like... But what does she do? (laughs) (laughs) So,
0: when I was 17, I went to Europe for the first time. Um, I was in the band, and I went on this band tour of these seven different countries, and we got to Paris, and I will say that I was very much like Wendy. Like, very literal as a child. Like, I really resonated with the Amelia Bedelia books. Like, they made a lot of sense to me. Um... Not because they were funny, but because I didn't understand why people said stupid things when they didn't mean that. So we get to Paris, and we're driving around in this bus. And we have this very French tour guide, and she very much did not like (laughs) us stupid American kids, right? So we're on the bus, and we go past, you know, the corner where Joan of Arc was burnt at the stake. And we drive past the Louvre and the Arc de Triomphe and these different things, and we get... To the grand finale, which is the Eiffel Tower. And I did exactly what Wendy did. I said, but what does it do? It's she's like, well, it's the Eiffel Tower. Yeah, but what does it do? She's like, well, it has a counter on it that counts down to the year 2000. What's it going to do after the year 2000? Because that's going to end.
1: It'll count up to the year 3000.
0: And she was like, it's just the Eiffel Tower. And I was like, yeah, but why is it the most famous national landmark for your entire freaking country? Like, I feel like the Arc de Triomphe is way cooler than the Eiffel Tower. And I got in so much trouble because I really, really offended her by asking these questions. Because she thought I was just trying to be a smartass. And Mm -hmm. I was really, genuinely trying to understand why it got to be so famous. And no one told me that it was built for the World's Fair as this architectural... Like advanced genius design and all these—like no one told me that stuff. They're like it counts down to the year 2000. I was like, this is the stupidest thing I've ever seen. Like it's just a giant piece of metal for no reason. Like we have lots of giant pieces of metal that don't do anything. Why? So I get where Wendy's coming from. And yeah. and then like I guess all the the workers went on strike, and none of us could go up the Eiffel Tower because they all went on strike. And I was like, well, huh? good (laughs) because I hate that thing so (laughs) (laughs) but and I feel that same way about a lot of our celebrities and and these people as of late like I I wonder who is it that my daughter is going to connect with and what are the stories and what are the the music and songs that are gonna ring true to her I hope it's things like the song true or one love by Mclemore, I mm-hmm. I hope that there are things that tell a story and resonate with a deep part of their souls. Um, but it's it's needed, I think, to help them sort of grow, come into their own.
1: No, I, I fully agree with that. And you know, as someone who doesn't have kids, it's not you know a thing I have to worry about <laughs> because that's that's a choice that I've made. But um, as much as you know, we look look at it right now and worry about the state of... We'll just take music, for example. Like and by culture.
0: one love, I mean same love. Sorry. Same love,
1: yeah. I mean, we, we knew what you meant. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, we, we look at music nowadays, and we see Kesha, and we see Justin Bieber, and we see, you know, all these, like, you know, artists who don't, you know, think, like, oh, like, my God, that sucks, or... And that's honestly just part of our being adults and being old. <laughs> uh, there's there's tons of studies if you go out there. They say the, the average person stops discovering new music when they're 35, uh, so it, there's a lot of stuff about that. Oh, but that's if you think so about sad. it. Yeah, but I, I listen to like radio all the time, so I'm always hearing new stuff. So that's that's kind of my out. And I have friends who have very musical taste, so I hear new stuff all the time. Um, but if you think back to when our like parents were kids, I'm sure they were saying the same thing about like the Doors, um, David Bowie, Prince, you know. And so that's not to say that in any way that these artists nowadays can be compared to them because right now they can't. But, I mean, love him or hate him, Justin Bieber's very, very talented. And who's not to say in 15 years from now, when he finally grows up and becomes mature, he can't become a great artist like a Van Moore, a Jim Morrison or a David Bowie. We don't know that. So maybe these kids, when they eventually grow up, will become something special. Um, until then, they're just kind of bubblegum pop.
0: Yeah, and I think that... Um, I I wrote a paper when I was in college because I was a music major about how... Mozart and Bach were basically the M&M of their time period. Like
1: Oh yeah, and Shakespeare wrote soap operas. Yeah,
0: like they were just breaking all the bounds and when I was in college that was kind of when Britney Spears was really big and then she had like a total like life meltdown and sort of restarted herself and I think that it's interesting that we do put so much responsibility on the celebrities for our self-identity. Like When they do something that we don't agree with, we crucify them for it. Because that's not me. I'm not like Brittany. I didn't shave my head or get out of the car and show my hoo-hoo because I had no underwear on, which, to be fair, I don't wear underwear a lot of the time. It very well could have happened. There's just no cameras <laughs> around me. Like, so, I think that we we take these kids, especially now, we put them on these T V shows and this Disney ran media and we raise them up to be these superheroes who really actually don't have any supernatural powers and and we throw them into these unreal scenarios and make them feel accountable for being this type of mm-hmm. of role model for people and when they can't handle the pressure of it, we attack them for it and leave them out to dry without giving them any sort of understanding or support that they kind of thought they would need to have. And so I think that Justin Bieber and... Britney Spears and Miley Cyrus, um, I actually think Miley Cyrus is doing a really awesome job of not letting it get to her and being, like, totally true to who she is. Like, I know a lot of people don't have a lot of respect for her, but I actually really do have a lot of respect for Miley Cyrus because I think that she is, like, just giving a big middle finger to the entire world as she transitions from being a teenager into a woman and, whether she's doing it the best way or not, it's her way. Mm-hmm. And I could, I could see her and Justin Bieber growing up to be influential people like Bowie and print.
1: Oh yeah, definitely. Um, and, and you bring up Britney Spears again, uh, was another great South Park episode was, uh, Britney's new look. And it, it brings up the whole fact that we're taking these people who are these essentially kids and putting them on a pedestal and making them into something they're not, uh, Lonely Island also did a fun thing with Natalie Portman where uh, she did a rap about how she went to Harvard and she cheated and did drugs and slept with guys. And, um, at the end, she's like, I never said I wanted to be a role model. Um, and it, it, it's interesting because just because, you know, someone is famous doesn't mean there's someone you should look up to. I mean, you know, uh, we're talking about, you know, celebrities have passed away. Um, Lemmy from Motorhead, uh, Dude, he drank at least a fifth of whiskey every night. I mean, that's not something that we all want to do. It's not something to always look up to. No. Um, just because someone is famous and well known, or rich and powerful, doesn't mean they're a good person or a person you should look up to. I mean, you can definitely be, you know, respect what they do and you know be fully into whatever kind of art they create. But like that doesn't mean you have to emulate them. I mean, Van Gogh was a crazy asshole. Yeah. I
0: mean,
1: doesn't mean I want to go be like him, but I can still sit there and you know, at least, you know, respect what he did. Um, but, yeah, I, I think the one thing, I don't know if this is just an American thing, um, but we love nothing more than to build someone up just so we can tear them down. Um, because, you know, and then what's really funny about that, too, is that once they're torn down, they're at rock bottom, and they're horrible, the best thing that ever happens for us is if you have an underdog story where, like, oh, they pulled themselves up by their bootstraps and got clean and, you know, became successful... I mean, look at Robert Downey Jr. I mean, he's one of the greatest actors of our time. I mean, he did some of his best work when he was younger, and he was a huge—he was a monster. He was a drug addicted, alcoholic, he did horrible things. Crashed and burned, went to rehab, and then finally got, got back and um, was given a, a second chance with Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. And then John Favreau said, "Screw it. You know what? We'll pay you. You know, your, we'll give you a job. How about you play this little character named Iron Man? Let's we'll see where it goes."
0: But we'll just and, see what you can do with that.
1: Yeah, and arguably he's the biggest star in Hollywood now. I mean, no one's making when they say Robert Downey Jr. money. They mean we're going to take a big ass dump truck full of money and we're going to pour under your backyard. How's that sound? Because no one's making the money like he is in Hollywood. I guarantee you, no one else is pulling down sixty million a film um, just because they're in it. So, yeah, it's we love to build our celebrities up, tear them down, and then watch them try to recover. And that's. That's kind of a sad commentary on American society.
0: Yeah, I think it is. I I feel like a lot of the ways that we relate to these people is through our own insecurities. And so we like to see them fail because we know we're going to fail. But then we like to see them get back up because it gives us hope that we can too. And um, when they don't, then we kind of try to separate ourselves from them because we're we're not going to be the ones that don't succeed. So I think I think that that's um, a very sad commentary. Instead of just trying to raise everyone up so that we can all become stronger together, we we really like to watch them be pushed down first.
1: Yeah, and well, actually I was, you mentioned Miley Cyrus I, I'll just say this really fast and go back everyone's always like, oh she's so controversial, she's done this and that um She hasn't done anything. I mean, yeah, she twerked, and she's been, like, and she's met out with people and, you know, maybe wore some really skimpy clothing, but, uh, you know, she's not out there doing a bunch of drugs. I mean, yeah, she smokes weed, but really, who doesn't, aside from me? Um, She's not out there taking shots and, you know, punching bartenders, and, again, it's a sad commentary that the fact that a woman would dare to be sexual or or be, you know... Um, again, trying to make herself out of the Disney princess into this new mold. She sticks that's her down. tongue oh. out,
0: and then she moves her hips. So she's obviously a whore. Yeah.
1: Now, now, that being said, when she did do the twerking thing with Robin Thicke, she, she could have chosen a different outfit, because that's kind of a weird outfit. But.
0: Yeah, but I loved it. Like I seriously <laughs> loved it. And um, I'm not sure who it was that, that posted it, but there is another version of wrecking ball where she's just singing Oh, that was me yeah while she's crying that is one of the most beautiful things i've ever seen and i didn't see the video for a long time for wrecking ball so i just i'm one of those old people who just listens to npr like i I continue (laughs) to find new music but it's because i have good friends like you who help me know where good music is but so i hadn't seen the the music video I'd heard some of the lyrics and I thought that it was really cool and then I saw everyone getting all mad and, and making parodies of it and I thought that was funny because I'm really not invested either way but watching her singing that song and just crying like oh yeah that's beautiful
1: but yeah again it just it comes down to society that, that is that frowns upon a woman who would dare to be sexual yeah um, for herself and not for someone else
0: yeah how dare she how dare she come into herself and be a woman but you know madonna got a lot of the same (laughs) criticism when she was coming into herself and i really feel like i don't know what level of music miley cyrus is going to continue to put out but if she comes into herself the way that madonna did i think she could have a really long career that could put out a lot of good creative stuff
1: i'm I'm interested to see where it goes i can't I can't say I'm the biggest fan of her music. I mean, she's got a couple songs that, of course, we all know and sing along to. Um, But, I mean, more power to her for living her life how she wants and, you know, being herself.
0: And I would wager that she was very highly influenced by people like David Bowie. Just from her age and her father's age, she probably had those people as influences in her life. Which
1: As long as she wasn't influenced by her father. Well, you know.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I mean, we don't even know achy breaky heart part two. No, no, no. <laughs>
0: but I guess that brings us back to why is it that this year, as we're losing these these artists, um, is it so personally influential when they leave us?
1: Um, I think. Well, I I mentioned the first person I talked about was Robin Williams, and I, just how much. You know, his his humor and his the characters he came I mean, who could ever forget the first time he saw Aladdin and saw the genie pop up and, you know, just it was an indelible part of my childhood. And I yeah. think that's why some of these people, you know, have meant so much to us because they've kind of been there through our whole lives. Um, you know the other really the other big one that hit me just as hard as Bowie was Alan Rickman. Um
0: Oh my you know, god.
1: Because He's just a wonderful actor. But, dude, he was Hans Gruber and Die Hard. I mean, he's been doing movies forever and ever. And then, of course, he's Severus Snape from Harry Potter, which, you know, I got into Harry Potter as an adult because, you know, the movies were written when I was in high school. Uh, or the books were written, excuse me. Um, but he brought that character to life. And, you know, when I'm reading the book, I always have kind of a mental image of what someone looks like. Um, and he was the spinning image, like the voice and everything. Where somehow it just, I was like, oh, my God, that took my brain... And I put it on screen.
0: I feel like they, uh, he did that for everyone because he, everyone that I've talked to was like, "Yeah,
1: no, he—it was him from the beginning." Yeah, and then you know he was the voice of Marvin, the the robot from, uh, you know, Hitchhiker's Guide, and uh, just, yeah, you know, Metatron, the voice of God from uh, Dogma. I mean, everything he did, even if he was doing uh, something stupid or out there, like you know when he's the alien character in Galaxy Quest. He bought kind of a gravitas, and it's almost like what Helen Mirren is something. Helen Mirren can be in the movie Red, which is about a washed-up ex-soldiers who are killing people, but she grants it that like just that, you know, that self, that importance that wouldn't be there. Mm-hmm. And it's not self-importance that makes you be like, oh, well, this is stupid. It's like, oh, I should pay attention to this. Um, but I think I think it's just these these people who've been with us forever you know have been part of our milestones you know maybe maybe someone lost their virginity to a prince song you know that's something you're never going to forget (laughs) uh no no, you will not yeah yeah and that wasn't me i i think it was blink 182 um god uh (laughs) but yeah i think these people are tied to our memories because of where we were what we were doing when their song or their their book was read, or when their movie was on TV, or whatever else.
0: Yeah, and I think that's part of why um, we can relate to them. I think it was a week after Alan Rickman died, I got on a plane, and there was a dude three rows behind me that looked like him. And I oh, you posted that? I saw that. Yeah, I took pictures of him when he stood up, and he was like super grumpy at me, kind of like Snape would have been if I was taking <laughs> pictures of him. I was like, "This is so perfect. You're not really dead, you." Cheeky, cheeky. Like, you're just hiding (laughs) from us. (laughs) But it is, it's really, whether it's through an actor or a musician or a character in a book, um, we get really tied to these things that help us come into our own. Um, I think if someone were to ever do like a live action movie of the wrinkle in time Book and or series Mm -hmm. I would probably go on a murderous rage if it wasn't done correctly (laughs) um the character of Meg is so influential to me uh that it would be really really hard for me to have that done incorrectly Mm mhm and so I think that you know a lot of the reason why people get so upset about um Books or media or anything like that is because of that self-identity.
1: Yeah, and again, you you ties to into yourself so much that even though it's beloved by millions or possibly even you know about a billion people, who knows? Uh, it's still it's yours, and it's really weird because like I'm a huge, huge fan of uh, the Ender game, Ender's Game book and series, um, just because growing up as a, as a kid read, reading that that was. I saw myself so much in that main character. I'd never read a book that so reflected who I was. Not in the way that I was killing people or blowing up planets. uh, Just the way the character thought and kind of, you know, being an outcast but also being the person everyone looks up to because, you know, you're either smarter than them or you're better than them at this or they help with you for this. Um, So that really, really, you know, hit home with me. And then it's kind of, it sucks because then I, I got older and got into it and then, you know, that something you felt so true to your heart for so long gets tarnished when you find out, oh, well, the author's homophobic, or this and that, or, like, when the movie comes out, and then you've, now you're sitting there as a film critic having to review this movie of, like, your favorite book of all time, and trying to separate the two, and it's just, it's kind of a mental mind fuck. <laughs> That's the easiest way I could try to say it, totally. but, uh, yeah, you can, you know, yeah, these things are precious to us, and they mean a lot to us, and it's a shared experience with so many people, um... Like, when Michael Jackson passed away, my, my friend Jessica is, like, the world's biggest Michael Jackson fan. I mean, And so it was kind of like the moment I heard about that, I called her, I'm like, are you okay? And she, she's like, yeah, yeah, I'm doing fine. just kind of, it's, it's a lot right now, and we, we talk about it later. Um, but, yeah, you, just, you see these people whose lives have been touched by someone. And, you know, like, when Elvis died, or when these big people who, again, changed the world in their own way, um, you know, you're always going to remember them, and it's really interesting to find out you have so much in common with people maybe who you never even would have talked to or imagined being friends with and you suddenly find out like oh hey we were both into this and let's say we're both kind of grieving let's talk about this our favorite memory here and then boom you may even foster a new relationship that you never thought was possible
0: yeah no it it makes a a huge impact on you um so, of the ones that have passed this year, which do you think have had... Do you think Alan Rickman has had the biggest influence on you on with his passing?
1: Um, yeah, I'd have to go with him. I mean, Bowie was a shock. Um, and, I mean, it was for the most part, they were all shocks. I mean, it was, you know, even though... It seems like none of them were expected this year. Yeah, and it, it, it was funny because on, on Radio from Hell the other day, during the all-day show, they were talking about that. And they were like, you know, it wasn't like Prince, if Prince would have died when he was 86, they would have been like, oh, well, you know it, you're you know, you're 86, you've had a good run, you know, you've know, you done this. But when someone dies in their 50s or like, you know, um, in their 60s or even early 70s like Bowie and, and Alan Rickman did, um, it's the suddenness of the passing that you weren't expecting, especially from someone who you didn't know was sick and didn't have a chance to say goodbye or it was just, you weren't expecting it. So I think Alan Rickman... Just for me, who is so steeped in you know, film and movies and how much I love that genre or that—I uh, guess that type of art—that's uh, where I'll kind of I'll feel his loss the most because that's where I'm most familiar with him. Uh, again, Bowie was a huge one too because I was a huge fan growing up, listened to all his music, uh, loved all of his stuff. But Alan Rickman was again—I recognize stuff from film better, so that's who I identify with more.
0: Yeah, I can I can absolutely understand that. I think
1: um And how about you, like, what who is who was the biggest one for you? I
0: was trying to think. I think Prince the loss of Prince was just so shocking to me because he was very young and so much of the associations from growing up with like heartbreaks or new loves or or moving on um, was associated with music that he wrote and then I guess after he died finding out about all the behind the scenes things that he was involved with um, it just feels it just feels really sad and unfortunate that someone that was so invested in humanity is, is gone and left us um, I don't know much of her work but Michelle McNamara um, who was the wife of Patton Oswalt um, I was really impacted by her leaving because she was only 47 and or 46 excuse me and that's just way too close for comfort (laughs) to have someone pass away at that age um, just in her sleep and i don't I don't personally know a whole lot about her um or her relationship, but they seemed really truly happy and i just it it just makes me really sad and I guess it puts into perspective uh how fragile we all are to have people leaving us at so many different ages this year and so Closely together.
1: Yeah, I mean that's the thing is, you know, no one is cliched, but no one is promised tomorrow. No one's guaranteed that they're going to go to bed tonight and wake up tomorrow, um, either one alive or two. Wake up and then, you know, be facing the horror of hey, maybe your spouse, you know, passed away in the night, or maybe something bad. You're going to lose your job tomorrow, or you know, you're going to get evicted, or something horrible's going to happen, or maybe something great's going to happen. Maybe you're going to get promoted. Maybe you're going to get married. Uh, I guess the, the biggest thing that we can always take away from this without getting too maudlin or too <laughs> down on things is you, you've got to live your life every single day as the last and enjoy what you're doing. And yes, that doesn't mean that you go quit your job because this might be the last day I'm alive and I don't want to work. Um, no, it just means you you have to approach life with Oh, I a wish it could work of... that way. <laughs> oh, I know, right? Wouldn't that be great? <laughs> quit today and still get paid and I'll come back tomorrow. Um... No, but you've got to live your life with a sense of joy and a sense of wonder um, in the sense that you don't know if this is the last time you're going to have that conversation with that friend, the last time you're going to go enjoy a steak dinner or whatever else and just relish the things you have and have fun with it.
0: Yeah, and also to live with a sense of vulnerability and awareness. Like, It's okay to forgive. It's okay to be vulnerable. It's Vulnerable. It's okay to take chances and to mm-hmm. risk the heartache that could absolutely definitely come with life because it's it's going to come either way. Um, an artist that's been really influential for me lately uh, in the last year, her name is Lara Marling, and she has huh. a very beautiful song called Ghosts, and in it, she the chorus of it, it the, the premise is like, I went to go meet this guy, and he had with him... All these pictures of the ghosts from his past um, who still haunt him and it's just kind of like talking about how any past relationship whether it's a friendship or a family member or a uh, love interest is going to have a residual effect on our life and they kind of stick around our psyche like ghosts and influence the way that we live the rest of our life and then in the chorus she says um, lover please don't get down on your knees. It's not like I believe in everlasting love, which kind of at a surface level sounds pretty depressing. Like, um, nothing's going to last. Love isn't forever. But to me more, what she's saying is, um, it's okay. It's okay Mm -hmm. for it to not have to be everlasting love or for this to be true or the one the only thing in my life that's going to matter, like everything in life is going to end at some point, whether that's through a breakup or a death or moving or having a kid in your lifestyle change, like whatever it's going to be, like things, nothing is permanent in this life. So I am going to enjoy you and love you and take everything I can out of each moment or at least try to, like it's not always going to happen, but at least go forward without abandon and and risk the heartache because sooner or later it's going to die. Sooner or later it's going to end. Um, mm-hmm. And hopefully that's later. Hopefully with all the people in my life, it is very, 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 very much later and not soon. But I don't want to take the risk that it is going to be later and not enjoy it for what it is along the way.
1: Mm-hmm. And I think that's something that you you gain with age, as far as, we, as you get wisdom, you know, as you get old and wise, uh, <laughs> and keep the kids off the lawn, no, uh, I just remember, you know, because growing up gay, you know, first of all, being in the closet, you know, and having to pretend to be straight was a horrible thing, um, but even when I came out and then, you know, dated briefly, you know, it's almost like I always approach every single relationship as, um, is this the person who's going to be the one for me, this is like, you know, the, my eventual husband, or by that time, partner, or you because you couldn't get married. And I think the, the looking back on it now, it's a very much very immature way to face um, relationships, especially dating, because like you mentioned, you know, who's, who's not to say that, you know, that you meet this person and, you know, maybe you can just tell they're probably not going to be the one for like, you know, the quote unquote one, um, but there could be a great relationship that could develop that maybe could start romantic. And then, you know, it might turn up that you both understand that, hey, we're not meant to have a romantic relationship, but because we have this really great foundation, um, we now have a friend relationship that may never have been there if we wouldn't have taken that chance to see what would have happened um, and kind of go from there. So I remember they'd always, you know, as a kid say, "Look, you're looking for Mr. and Mrs. Right, uh, Mr. and Mrs. Right now. Uh, but that now also could be the very sheltered and religious life I, was, I had growing up. Um, but there's nothing wrong with getting to know someone and knowing them intimately is you know in a a romantic relationship knowing that hey you know what this is this probably won't work out in the end but we're we're enjoying our time now we're enjoying each other and there's nothing wrong with that
0: yeah I think um when I came into this group of friends I was very much in that place and and uh I you know had a an a love interest that I was very invested in and it was very long distance and in the end that didn't work out but while that was playing itself out I got to know you and I got to know Eddie and I got to know Jeremiah who later became my Mr. Right Now and that's kind of how both he and I went into it was well that didn't work so you're going to be the right now and he was like yeah that's cool because I don't fall in love with people, so as long as you're good with it, and I was like, I'm totally good with this just being a right now sort of thing. And he's like, yep, me too. This is just a right now. And so I was like, cool. And then all of our friends were like, are you guys really? Like, we don't want you to get hurt by this. And I was like, y'all don't understand. This is just a right now sort of thing. And and as we all know, because we're all in the present together, it it definitely became something more than just Mr. Right now or Mrs. Right now. And
1: mm-hmm.
0: and while we are not romantically involved in, on any level, he's one of the dearest people in my life to me. And I, I cannot say that I have any other friendship in my life that is to me what his is to me.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And um, I'm glad that I took that chance. I'm glad that I didn't just be like, well, you're never going to be Mr. Forever. Which, by the way, people, you cannot ever actually say that going into something. like
1: Oh, you never know. Like, no.
0: Obviously, things between him and I became much more than what we ever thought they would, because when you give someone a chance and don't put pressure on it, you get to know them in this totally different way. Mm-hmm. And the things that he and I bonded over to begin with was media. It was the characters of Star Wars and then watching How I Met Your Mother together and And all of those things led us into these very real-life conversations where we could be honest and open and our true selves with each other. And if we hadn't had the media there, I don't think either one of us would have ever opened up truly and been our true selves with each other, which is another thing that I think these artists and, and characters and things bring into our lives is an association with someone else and be like, yeah. Mm-hmm. Like even on the, the movie podcast that we, we do, like we get to know each other in these different ways where we can be like, Oh, that was a good movie. Yeah. That was a really good movie. And so we all think we really liked the movie. <laughs> you guys are both crazy. But then, that, that was horrible. Yeah, but then at the end of the movie you can be like, Oh, I really loved that. It was like this for all the male and female characters. And then you or Andy will be like, uh, no, it wasn't. <laughs> and I'll be like, yeah, it was, but but if you just say, yeah, I really like that movie, you wouldn't get to know the deeper levels of it. And and that leads us open to talking about our own selves. Like, I really liked the Huntsman movie because I feel like the world needs to take more chances on love. And through a fairy tale aspect, I think it really brought that out to light. And because we're all coming into these experiences from different paths and different perspectives, we each... Open up to why we like something for a different reason, and it allows each other to experience it for more reasons, too.
1: Yeah, exactly. So, um, yeah, the, the whole part of being out there and bearing your soul and showing who you really are, I mean, that's, it's painful for multiple reasons. I mean, one, like we mentioned, people love to tear other people down. So, when you're out there and you're wearing your heart on your sleeve or bearing your soul, um, it's very, very easy to get hurt. Um, I think we've all been there and done that, and so that just you know over time builds up those scars and calluses and everything else that keeps you from doing that. And then by the same note, once you've been hurt like that in the past, and you're finally starting to be like, well, no, I need to do this. This is who I am, and this is how I have to present myself. Um, peeling back all that scar tissue can almost hurt worse because you know you you already know what you're opening yourself up to. You already know where this could possibly go. Um, so to go out there and you know, pull a David Bowie and be androgynous and bisexual back in the 70s when it wasn't allowed. You know, it was, you had a, you know, Christopher Street and the bathhouses and, you know, that was in, you know, documentaries about the, the predator homosexual. Um, yeah, that wasn't, that wasn't the cool thing. I mean, I'm not saying that being gay is a cool thing now, but I think there are people out there who are more gender fluid and this and that because it's kind of a cool thing to do. Um, I never saw it, but a couple of friends of mine who are transgendered uh, we were having a discussion, and uh, he and she both brought it up that, like you know, like I know it was like kind of, like, oh wow, I, I see this now. Um, but yeah, it's to it's it's going out. The, you know, courage isn't the lack of fear. Courage is going forward and doing it anyways while you're scared to death.
0: Absolutely, and being someone who is bisexual herself, um, it's it's kind of the not that being any part of the LGBT um, community is like the cool thing to do, but if you're bisexual and you're in a quote unquote heterosexual relationship, it's really easy for people to just be like, no, you're really not part of us. <laughs> and I'm like, but but I am. This is just who I happen to be with right now. And um, Anna, how do you say her last name, Paquin? Paquin, yeah. Anna Paquin is bisexual, and she, um, even though she was, I I believe she's still married to Stephen Moyer, isn't she? Um, I don't know. I will
1: look that up. While, while I believe
0: I know that either way they were married, but I believe they still are. Um, yes, ma'am. She came out and said, "I am bisexual. Period. I have chosen to be with this man because he's who I love, but that does not change my sexuality. It's just." Where I am in my life And who I have found who loves me back And I remember Gosh, probably I don't know 10 years ago, like 2006 Um, No, it had to have been closer to like 2009 I was reading an article Where she was talking about stuff And I was just like for some reason, seeing someone who is in the public eye and scrutinized so much come out and make such a strong statement and be so unforgiving about it, I was like, it really, truly doesn't matter how anyone else sees me or who I happen to be in a relationship. I am who I am. And it's that is not fluid. That does not change. Like, I can progress and become a better person and take on new views and love different people throughout my life. But who I am is totally fine. And and it just, it does, it resonates with you and it gives you strength and made it easier for me to really not care how other people feel about someone who is quote-unquote bisexual.
1: Yeah, and, and it was kind of funny, because back when I came out you know, 15 years ago, um, around that time, it was almost like, I mean, it was more of a, gay guys especially would come be like, oh, I'm bi. Kind of because it was the whole... Like, non-committal would, yeah they would accept you easier because I think well maybe he's the dudes but there's a chance he might still find a woman kind of thing yeah and I think that's where and unfortunately for the bisexual community that was such you know and again it goes back to fear of putting yourself out there and being yourself um, there you know that was a very strong fear especially from someone who has been you know who has been harassed and been beaten up and yeah. you know, been spit on for being gay where you, you know, don't have a choice step. to
0: find a woman like it. I yeah. do. My best friend who is gay. Um, he told me once that he really didn't like people who said they were bisexual because they were just trying to partake of the sexual buffet. Like they didn't want to commit one way or another. They were just trying to be greedy and slide under the the radar and just take a little bit of everything (laughs) and at the time when he and I were talking about it like he was just coming out I was like the Uh first person he told and he didn't know that I was bisexual and and I remember it took me probably a good 10 years of our relationship to be able to tell him that I was because I was like oh my god he had such a bad viewpoint of it and and I was Mormon and trying to be Mormon and he was Mormon and trying Uh to be Mormon and so I was like well No, I'm gonna not bring it up and be strong and just. It it was so ridiculous. It was so ridiculous. But it was an absolute real fear and real insult at the time for exactly the reasons that you're saying. Mm -hmm. Because it is really hard to have to come out and say, no, I didn't choose this, it's just who I am. Like you may feel like you have, and that's one reason why I was always felt pretty compassionate towards people who were just gay because they, I could choose to be in a relationship with a man and not be harassed and not like, it's obviously much easier for me to find men to date than women to date. And so that's kind of been the majority of the people that I've dated in my life just because of the ease of meeting people. And you don't have that ease. You don't have that option. You, if you could have chosen something else to have it be easier, like why would you have chosen to do it the harder way? And so,
1: well, it's all—it's all a choice, you know. I mean, everyone uses <laughs> to, you know. Whatever, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> <laughs> so, but yeah, it's that's uh, and unfortunately, that's where it comes from. And uh, it's getting better now, uh, as again, people become more enlightened and you know finally understand. You know, finally understand people more, and it's becoming more in the limelight that's definitely helping um, it's, it's progressing faster than I would have expected
0: you're watching the the real O'Neill's right
1: oh I, I was so I started watching it from the very <laughs> get-go because I was like because Eddie's family is Catholic and so I was like this has got to be like his family and I love Martha Plumpton because she's just absolutely amazing <laughs> so um, funny you know I, it's so funny to think she was the little nerdy girl from the Goonies oh um, yeah she was the one with the, gla- the glasses
0: that's adorable uh,
1: so I watched it, and, I, and I'd heard really mixed reviews about that. And so I saw the first episode, and I laughed my ass off. I'm like, oh, great. I love this show. That means it's going to go off the air, and I will be able to buy the complete series on DVD very soon. Um, but no, apparently it's doing well, and I think it's getting picked up for a second season. But Oh, I'm um, so I-
0: glad. There's... I think it was either the last. I think it was the last episode where he makes he bakes the bait or goes and buys the gay cake, and they like are trying to tell his grandma about him coming out, and they try to kill grandma and things. It's so funny, and at the very end, he's sitting on the the porch with his mom eating gay Mm -hmm. cake, and he's like, "Well." Ellen DeGeneres is and she's like oh I know that one and he goes and surprisingly your hairdresser is not and she goes I just can't understand this thing (laughs) (laughs) he's just like going through like his original plan and coming out was not to yell in front of a church full of people but to like start warming her up to all the gay people that she loves and have her become more Mm -hmm. familiar with it and I think that that in and of itself is a huge statement about why these people are so important to us in that um We love them, and the more personal they are, kind of like David Bowie was about his personal life and keeping it under the radar, um, sometimes we don't know everything about them, and to be able to be who they are and live a life that is happy and uh, find out later that they are gay or straight or bisexual or just a freaking human being makes it that much more relatable and personal um, when we see them in characters that we love and even characters that we hate um, getting more and more comfortable with who we are Mm -hmm. and progressing as human beings
1: I agree 100%
0: cool well um, I think we'll wrap it up for today I I'm so sad that we've lost so many people. 2016, you can calm the freak down now. Like, <laughs> just chill out. Give us a yeah. minute or to recover.
1: Let us choose who to take next time, because I, I got a list.
0: I just, yeah, there are a lot of people I could give you to take. <laughs> um, please just lay off. Like, no Bill Murray. No Betty White. Like, there there are some people that we need to stick around. So,
1: no, so. Betty White's going to, she's going to survive the apocalypse. I think it's going to be Keith Richards, Betty White, and a cockroach at the end. That's all it's going to be left. And,
0: and Ozzy Osbourne. Oh,
1: yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, thank you so much um, for being on the show with me, Adam. You're oh, yeah, of course. Thanks a for inviting pleasure me. Pleasure as always. Kind of and um, to everyone out there in the internet land, make sure to follow us, listen, like the podcast, share us with your friends. And um, remember the time to hesitate is through.